This week, uh, there were some significant uh, events that happened in our world, uh, some uh, celebrity and really some significant people in our world that many of you may know, though you don't know. Um, Al Davis, uh, the owner of the Raiders, uh, he passed away as well as Steve Jobs. Al Davis was famous and has been famous really my whole life as I've thought about uh, the football team, the Raiders. He was passionate about winning. He was passionate about winning. And uh, you couldn't really tell that in the last few years of the Raiders because they've stunk. Uh, but he was passionate about it. And, and so much so that he came up with the famous line, just win, baby, just win. And his passion was that it didn't matter how you got there, but it was just important to win, just important to win. And for all his faults, he was a colorful man uh, in many ways. For all his faults, he had a passion for winning. Steve Jobs, um, most of you know who he is. Uh, he was Apple Computer, Mac, the Macintosh, the, the iPhone, the iPad, and all those other i things that uh, uh, came out of there. Uh, the superior computer to most of the ones that you have came from his company. Uh, if you don't know what that is, it's even worse than I thought. Uh, but Steve Jobs, he passed away from cancer this week at 56. When people pass away... There's a sense of reflection to their life. And some people look from the outside and they say, well, what was their life about? What is left of their life? And obviously for both of these men, there's a sense of them having it all here on this earth. And yet uh, it really is the great leveler death is in that so much of what they did last week was unimportant this week because of their death. As I think about that, I want to ask the question about our church, Bear Valley Church. Chances are uh, this afternoon you may go out to lunch or you may be with friends and they may wonder, so what did you do this morning? Oh, I went to church. Uh, I was at Bear Valley Church. Or maybe tomorrow uh, you'll be with coworkers, and they'll say, so what was your weekend like? And you'll say, yeah, I went to church. And I wonder if that means anything, that you went to church, that we gathered here this morning. It, does it mean something? Or is it just a lot of uh, electricity, uh, a lot of energy to get up in the morning and to get your team out the door, uh, to get everyone here on time or generally on time? Uh, it's, it's hard, and, and we get together, and there's a sense of communication. We've uh, had our fellowship time. We've met in the hallway. We've talked in the parking lot. There's been activity, but for what? What's the purpose? If someone would ask you, I hear you go to Bear Valley Church. Why do you go there, and why should I go there and be a part of what you're a part of? This morning, hopefully, we can see uh, what that is as we look at the book of Titus. To be honest, I don't want to be a part of something that we make a lot of dust and commotion, but when the dust settles, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. Please stand in honor of God's Word, and I'd like to read for you the first nine verses of Titus chapter 1. Paul, a servant of God 
and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. And at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. God, we ask that you would direct our thoughts during this time, that you would stir our hearts to love your church as you want us to love it, as it needs to be a part of our life as you've called us to be. God, thank you for this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, as we look at these first few verses of the book of Titus, I think they give us really a picture of what every church should be like. Every church. And last week, we looked at Paul. He told us that he was two things. We got really far, like, you know, a line and a half or something in the book of Titus. And uh, he told us two things. What were they? He was a what and a what? Slave or servant and an apostle. I'd like to say big A apostle. Like he was was one of the, the chief apostles, if I could say it that way. So the first word, slave, um, now how many of you, you know, how many of you have had a bad job before? Bad job, a job you haven't liked. Come on, some of you are lying. We'll get the lying later, by the way. Uh, but uh, you had a job. And in the midst of those jobs, sometimes you, you're, you're working and you go, why am I working so hard? And, and you go, this is just a dumb job. They don't pay me enough to do this dumb of a job. If they pay me a lot more, it would have a sense of purpose to providing for my family and my needs. But this is just a dumb job that doesn't pay that much. I think we can all relate to one degree or another with something like that. If you look at what Paul is talking about as he describes who he is, he's saying, really, this is his job. He's a slave who came with a message. He's an apostle sent from God. He, he has a message that comes from him that he is going out to share as a slave, as a slave, okay? And you say, well, why would you do that job? Paul is going to tell us why he does this job. And what we're going to see is that how that interacts with us and how important it is that we would be a local church. And let me ask you a question. 
Um, and this is kind of hard to, to think through. And it, Most of us understand what it is to have a personal relationship with Christ. That we don't have anyone in between us and God. That we, we have direct line because of what Christ has done. We get directly to Him. You, you don't come to me in, in the week and you say, you know what, I really wanted to send God a message. I wanted to talk to Him. Kevin, could you tell Him for me? We don't do that, do we? In fact, if you uh, have sins that you want forgiven, uh, you don't come to me and say, uh, Kevin, uh, could you talk to God? I, I've done some things that, could you tell him and kind of do that business for me and then get back to me when it's all clear? <laughs> we don't do that. We don't, we don't believe that. The Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, we know because of what Jesus did on the cross that we have direct access to the Father through the Son. We have relationship with Him. We have relationship with Him. So would you say it's important to have a personal relationship with Christ? Or would you say it's important to have a relationship with the body of Christ? Or... Let's skip that question altogether because, you know, you're realizing sometimes they're kind of yes and yes, but where's he getting it? Or, or can someone have a personal relationship with Christ without having a relationship with the body of Christ? Or, skip those questions. Or is it important for you to have a relationship with your local body of Christ? See, why I bring this up is that this this little letter to Titus has a context. That there is uh, a church and or churches involved in this letter that Paul is writing to a man. We're going to get to that man. And that man is ministering to some local churches. We don't know how many in an island of Crete. And, and there's a there's a setting there. We have a setting. We're at Bear Valley Church in the great city of Tehachapi. Where is that again? You know, how many times have you heard that, right? How do you spell that? Salute, you know, uh, we uh, we we have a setting here. We're a local church, and and as much as I think about this, it's important for us to remember. I love the idea that we are connected in the body of Christ to all believers. I love that. I love that. But there's a reality. There's a reality that the believers in churches in Wisconsin. <laughs> that their walk with the Lord does not impact me at all, and mine does not impact them. That Titus was, uh, the book of Titus was written by Paul to Titus so that those local churches would be set up in honoring to the Lord as they should be. And so in that backdrop, we hear from Paul through the inspiration of God why he works so hard. And why he would fulfill this role of apostle, even when it wasn't his message. And this is what he says. In the middle of verse 1, actually, let's start at verse 1 again. Paul, servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, 
for the sake of the faith of God's elect. God's elect. As some of you read uh, that whole idea of God's elect, you start breaking out in a rash and you start going, oh, it's that election thing that I don't quite understand. And I don't. And that's fine. That's fine. Um, if you didn't break out in a rash, um, maybe you've gotten too comfortable and you think you understand more about God than you really do. Most of us, especially if you've come to faith later in life, there's a sense in which you say, uh, before Christ, I was like this, and now after Christ, I'm like this. And so you, you, you think in your mind, well, there were days where God didn't have me on his radar, and I, I wasn't a part of the faith, and he wasn't working in my life. And then there's a point in time, bam, and then from then on, God is working in my life. I want to tell you that's wrong. I want to tell you that's wrong. Because the Bible teaches that really from the, the earliest time that, that he identified you, and he's been working in your life forever. And that's what election talks about, is that he did not uh, stumble upon you, or you didn't stumble upon, you may have stumbled upon him in a sense where you all of a sudden, ah, you know, I need God. But he was working in your life to draw you to faith. And so as Paul identifies, and in other places he does this as well, he refers to this group of people, as you all, as God's elect. And I want, I want you to get this. This is so great. Paul is saying, this is the group of people that I live for. This is the group of people that I slave for. That Why am I willing to call myself a slave of God? Why am I willing to take another's message? It's for you. It's for you. And there's a sense in which, as today, we're out there looking as well. We're looking for who God is working in. And we're sharing, and we're calling people, and we're saying, come in. This is the greatest stuff you'll ever see. And Paul says two things that he is about doing. He says this. uh, The reason he's doing it, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. So their faith and their knowledge, their knowledge of the truth. And what he, what's so important for us to see here is this, that this is the process by which happens to all people who come to faith, is that they are to grow in their faith. Their faith is not to be stagnant or just a touch and that's enough. And But Paul is about, he desires, and really the church is, about people growing in faith. And the difference is, is that people have, everyone has faith. Did you know that? Some would say, well, you know, I'm an atheist. I don't have faith. Yes, you do. It happens to be in a lie that you made up, but you do have faith. Uh, they believe in something. They put their trust in something. Most of us, prior to knowing Christ, our trust was just right here. It was just right here. I trust in myself. I believe in myself. And, and that's what's going to get me through the day. And what is going on when people are, are coming to faith is this. There's a transfer of faith in themselves or faith in something else to faith in the God of the universe. What Jesus did on the cross. And so Paul says, this is why I slave. To increase that faith, to grow that faith. And that they might 
uh, grow in their knowledge of the truth, knowledge of the truth. The other picture here, where he says faith, but he also says knowledge. The idea of knowledge is taking out the wrong answers and putting in the right answers. You understand that, right? That that when we act wrong, most of the time we believed wrong and we acted upon that thinking that that was the right way to go. Paul said, my passion, the reason I live, the reason I slave is for their faith and their knowledge, their knowledge of the truth, their knowledge of the truth. This is what our churches should be all about, is growing people in faith and increasing their knowledge of the truth, replacing the wrong thoughts with the right ones. He goes on. Paul says, really, that I have uh, a gospel purpose. This is what gets me going. And as he goes on to talk about these things, it's a, he speaks of a gospel change, the good news change. What, what happens when we grow in faith and what happens when they increase in the knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness? With godliness. I love this because it shows what happens to our lives when we interact with God. When we truly understand who He is, when we trust Him more, when we put our faith in Him, when we grow in the knowledge of the truth, we get rid of those old answers and we trust in His Word. What happens? Godliness happens. Godliness happens. We change. That's sometimes painful, isn't it? The change is painful. Especially if we've been doing the wrong thing for a long period of time and we're getting really good at the wrong answer, right? And so it's sometimes hard to change, but the product, the product of the gospel in us is that we would have a changed life. I want to tell you, uh, sometimes that's a lot slower than we want it to be. (laughs) I don't know if you feel like that, but there's a sense in which... uh, Especially as you come to faith, you're, you're so, there's such an exhilaration of knowing that your sins are forgiven, that you're a new creation in Him, that you're like, sweet, this is awesome, everything's great now. They're, you know, all those things I struggled with before, they're gone, they're done with. And yet, uh, it doesn't happen like that, does it? Sometimes it's a, a slow and painful process. Um, it's kind of like going to school. You students here can relate to this. It's it's a slow and painful process. Um, you know, uh, sometimes we go through, uh, we get uh, a bunch of information. We pass a class. We get a passing grade and you say, I'm done with that. I won't need that. That won't impact me at all. That's not anything that the gospel is about. I want to tell you. What happens in us when we receive the gospel is that it changes us. It changes us. It's a sense in which that God begins a work in us to change us into what he wants us to be. And the result, it's godliness. It's a life that is marked by God, who he is, not who we used to be. So there's a gospel change. Um, As we go on, look at verse 2. There's also a gospel hope. In hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. 
Um, love the way this says this. It's very important to us. Uh, when you hear eternal life, when you, in the midst of thinking about what it is to be a church, and you hear eternal life, I hope that you think that's what I was saved for, eternal life. That's, that was the real clincher in the deal for me. As I understood who God was and I understood what Christ did for me, that was the clincher for me. You know, um, we, uh, we've already uh, shared about Paula and her being sick this week and just his surgery. And um, we know of others in the church that are struggling with health issues. We know others that are struggling in their marriages, struggling with their kids, uh, just breaking their heart over time. Uh, I, I know of uh, people struggling with pregnancies and miscarriages and all, all these things that are just so hard to get through. And if you would tell me, if I didn't know who Christ was, and you would come to me and you would say, you would say, why? you need Jesus. And I'd say, why do I need Jesus? I hope you would say, I hope you would say, because you can't get, a, get through a day without Him. You need Him for the things that are going on in your life. And yet, and yet, I want to tell you this. I, I make up these percentages all the time, okay? This isn't a math thing at all, okay? I just made this up in my head. 95% of the gospel is heaven. 95% of the gospel you see, He helps us with every day down here. There are tough days and He is faithful. We, we've sung of His faithfulness. And He is faithful. He will get you through whatever. He will walk with you through the painful days of life, whatever they may be. And they may be extremely painful. But I want to tell you, this life is only here for a short while. It's only a small part of what we get in Christ. Because what He gives us is eternal life. Eternal life. You know, the best encouragement I, I can give you in the midst of your heartache and pain is it will not last forever. It won't. I guarantee you. But His love for you will. His benefits of eternity will. They'll last forever. And so in the midst of uh, Paul talking about why he does what he does and what the greatness of this church and the idea of sharing the good news of the gospel, he says this, it's eternity. It's eternity. The gospel hope is eternal life. This morning, uh, if you're struggling, and I know there are some of you who are, I want to tell you it won't last forever. And the hope in the gospel is this, that eternity awaits us. You know, uh, we struggle with sickness, don't we? Uh, we when someone tells us they have life-threatening illness, we kind of gasp. <gasps> and, and there's a sense in which we'll do whatever it takes to not die. But I want to tell you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, that's going to be a day of freedom for you. All, all the, the burdens of these things, these things that dog your feet daily, they will be over. Your sense of striving and, and, and trying to get up day after day and face whatever the, the, the day has for you, those things will be over. Those things will be over. And that's the hope of the gospel. 
Jesus just didn't come to save you from the junk of this life and make it a little bit better here. He came to save you for eternity. And that's our hope in the gospel. As he describes this, um, there's a gospel hope, but there's also a gospel guarantee. I don't know if you got that. Gospel guarantee. As he says, talks of this in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Uh, do you get that? Do you get that? It's not just a big promise. It's not just something where, uh, you, you know, you were listening to a few school children and they say, I promise I'll be your best friend forever. You know, if you give me that piece of gum, you know. I'll be your best friend forever. Pretty cheap person, right? You know, if I if I could buy all your affections for a piece of gum, I'd do it. Be your best friend. That's not what this is saying. It's marking this opposed to every other uh, promise that you've ever received. Now, let me ask you: are, are you? Do you guys lie? Do you guys lie? Raise your hand if you lie. Some of you are lying right now because you won't raise your hand. Liars. Uh, for the most part, we are pretty, uh, we, we like to, especially in the things that don't matter, we're truthful, especially in those things, right? Uh, we like to be considered truthful. We, we like to have integrity. But there are times where we haven't come through, right? And, and what he's saying is, as opposed to all, everyone you'll ever meet, this is different because it's based on the character of God who never lies, who never lies. You can, you can trust in this. You realize that this is an eternal hope, right? It's not something that we have in our hands. And I want to tell you that if it was just an eternal hope so, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Because when will we know if it's true or not? After we die. And you can't come back, right? Uh, you can't go die and then go to the other side and say, whoa, 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 whoa wait, uh, I'm going to go back and change my answer. Okay? But this answer, this gospel that we believe in, is not one that is based upon any man's word. It's based upon the God of the universe who never lies. Never lies. We can trust Him. Our never lying God has said to us, I will be with you forever. I will be with you forever. So as Paul is saying, this is great stuff, isn't it? This is a reason to slave your whole life, right? This is a message that you can bear and be excited about bearing, right? This is what we're doing in the church. And as Paul considered his role, he goes back to the gospel. And in verse 3, he talks about the trust that he has received or the stewardship. He says, and at the proper time, speaking of this gospel, manifested in his word through the, pre the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. You see, Paul, as he looked at, on this, he looked about throughout history. Throughout history, And he considered that 
at one time, when you see that word manifested, you realize that, that that's when God chose to enter history. And it's not that he wasn't there before, but he was orchestrating history in such a way where at, at the perfect time for him, Jesus was interjected into history as a baby grew and and lived a sinless life, taught, and then as he taught and as he brought that ministry of teaching to a close, he gave himself as a sacrifice according to plan so that we would have the gospel message, that we would have the good news of Jesus and so that we would know him. And as Paul looks at this, he says, that's what I'm preaching. That's what I'm preaching. That's my message as it came to me. And, and the idea of, uh, of getting this message, it's a little bit different than the apostle uh, word that was used prior, but it's the idea that, that it was handed over, a valuable that was handed over to Paul. And it, it's similar to what we look at it here today. And the same theme is going to come out throughout the book of Titus is there's been entrusted to you. And it's as if God gave his gospel message and he handed it to Paul and he says, don't mess it up. Don't mess it up. It's perfect just the way it is. And Paul looks at that and he says, I've been entrusted with this powerful message, this perfect message of Jesus. And this is what I'm doing. It's a gospel trust that he had. This all works together in verse 4, and this is how it plays out for us. He talks about gospel family and he addresses it. He addresses who he's writing to. And he says in verse four to Titus, my true child in common faith. We don't know a whole lot about Titus. He's mentioned in a few uh, other books and we know him to be a Greek, not a Jew. And yet in this verse, it says my true son, my true son, Uh, I have a father-son relationship. And we assume that not to be an actual father. We assume that to be a relationship. Most, It could be very probable that Paul shared with Titus the gospel message and Titus didn't know it. He didn't know who Jesus was. He didn't know of this relationship that he could have with the Savior because of the good news. He didn't know. And as Titus heard it, he goes, oh, wow, that's great. I respond as God works in my heart. I respond. I I want to have what you have, Paul. And so that may be that relationship. It could be that Paul and Titus just, Paul was older. And he had this relationship. And so there's a sense of that he'd be more like a father to him than anything. We don't know. But he talks about this, this family relationship. Family relationship. That's what we have in the church. It's uncomfortable. I realize that. It's uncomfortable. Some of you uh, have a tough time with your, your, the family that you live under the same roof with, right? And you say, man, that kind of creeps me out that they're so close to me. But the idea of the whole church being my family, stay away. <laughs> Get away. I want to tell you that this is what the Lord has brought us into, a family what he's brought us into. find it interesting as he addresses Titus, there's a sense where he says, I'm your father, you're my son. I'm over you. I'm over you. But look at how he says they're connected. Did you catch that? To Titus, my true child 
in a common faith, in a common faith. You know, there's a sense where they could be a father-son relationship, but there's also a sense where they're just brothers together, fellow slaves, fellow slaves. They share a common faith. It's not like Paul had a a special faith that he uh, somehow got more of Jesus than anybody else. It's not true that he was saved in the same way that he still needed his sins removed just as anybody else did. And they shared a common uh, heritage in their family. They shared that same placement because of what Christ had done for them. Which leads us to verse, the end of, uh, middle of verse 4, it says this, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. It's a common uh, greeting, but he says, grace and peace, grace and peace. What do you have in the gospel? Grace and peace. What what do you have in this family that he's brought us into that we didn't grow up in? Grace and peace. This is what you receive as being part of a church, a church. And it's all because of the gospel. It's all because of the gospel change that goes on in you because you now have Jesus. This is the reason that Paul would slave and bring this message. I guess this morning as I think about really the context of this book that we're looking at, the book of Titus, I want us to get this. So Paul, he wasn't going to be there day to day. Paul was not going to be there day to day. And so he says, I left you at Crete, this Isle of Crete. Who did he leave? He left Titus. I know some of you are hungry, and so your brain's not working very well. It's like fourth period or something like that. Um, Titus. Paul, Paul, he's a slave, a messenger, apostle. He hands the message to Titus, and he says, Titus, while you're in Crete, there's some churches there in that aisle. There's some churches there. Put them in order. Put them in order. We're going to get to that next week. But why is this so important? Why is Paul taking this strategic look at what, what's going on there? Why is it so critical? It's real simple. It's because their task is so amazing and their trust that they received is so amazing. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. And, and the gospel needs to go out. It needs to touch the people. Uh, it needs to increase faith and, and build their knowledge of the truth that it would produce godliness. Why? Because this godliness is so important to change them and to be the people that God wants them to be. And why is the gospel so important? Because of eternal life that we have. It's a hope. It's guaranteed. It's guaranteed by God. And this is the message that we continue to pour out, the gospel message. that Jesus died for sinners like us. I hope that we get excited about that as God has called us to be a local church here in this place. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your kindness and your grace to us. God, I pray that you would um, empower us and excite us about the task that you have for us here in Bear Valley. That you would not uh, allow us to just sit back and, 
consider if this is a good, comfortable church for us, but that we would, as we unite with one another, we would seek to do your will here in this place. So thank you for the gospel message that has riches that we don't deserve. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here today. You are dismissed. This week, uh, there were some significant uh, events that happened in our world, uh, some uh, celebrity and really some significant people in our world that many of you may know, though you don't know. Um, Al Davis, uh, the owner of the Raiders, uh, he passed away, as well as Steve Jobs. Al Davis was famous and has been famous really my whole life as I've thought about uh, the football team, the Raiders. He was passionate about winning. He was passionate about winning. And uh, you couldn't really tell that in the last few years of the Raiders because they've stunk. Uh, but he was passionate about it. And, and so much so that he came up with the famous line, just win, baby, just win. And his passion was that it didn't matter how you got there, but it was just important to win, just important to win. And for all his faults, he was a colorful man uh, in many ways. For all his faults, he had a passion for winning. Steve Jobs, um, most of you know who he is. Uh, he was Apple Computer, Mac, the Macintosh, the, the iPhone, the iPad, and all those other i things that uh, uh, came out of there. Uh, the superior computer to most of the ones that you have came from his company. Uh, if you don't know what that is, it's even worse than I thought. Uh, but Steve Jobs, he passed away from cancer this week at 56. When people pass away, there's a sense of reflection to their life. And some people look from the outside and they say, well, what was their life about? What is left of their life? And obviously for both of these men, there's a sense of them having it all here on this earth. And yet, uh, it really is the great leveler death is in that so much of what they did last week was unimportant this week because of their death. As I think about that, I want to ask the question about our church, Bear Valley Church. Chances are uh, this afternoon you may go out to lunch or you may be with friends and they may wonder, so what did you do this morning? Oh, I went to church. Uh, I was at Bear Valley Church. Or maybe tomorrow uh, you'll be with coworkers and they'll say, so what was your weekend like? And you'll say, yeah, I went to church. And I wonder if that means anything, that you went to church, that we gathered here this morning. It, does it mean something? Or is it just a lot of uh, electricity, uh, a lot of energy to get up in the morning and to get your team out the door, uh, to get everyone here on time or generally on time. Uh, 
it's, it's hard and, and we get together and there's a sense of communication. We've uh, had our fellowship time. We've met in the hallway. We've talked in the parking lot. There's been activity, but for what? What's the purpose? If someone would ask you, I hear you go to Bear Valley Church. Why do you go there? And why should I go there and be a part of what you're a part of? This morning, hopefully, we can see uh, what that is as we look at the book of Titus. To be honest, I don't want to be a part of something that we make a lot of dust and commotion. But when the dust settles, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. Please stand in honor of God's word. And I'd like to read for you the first nine verses of Titus chapter 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior, to Titus my true child in common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. God, we ask that you would direct our thoughts during this time, that you would stir our hearts to love your church as you want us to love it, as it needs to be a part of our life, as you've called us to be. God, thank you for this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, as we look at these first few verses of the book of Titus, I think they give us really a picture of what every church should be like. Every church. And last week, we looked at Paul. He told us that he was two things. We got really far, like, you know, a line and a half or something in the book of Titus. And uh, he told us two things. What were they? He was a what and a what? Slave or servant and... An apostle, I'd like to say big A apostle, like he was, he was one of the, the chief apostles, if I could say it that way. So the first word, slave, um, now how many of you, you know, how many of you have had a bad job before? Bad job, you had a job you haven't liked. Come on, some of you are lying, we'll get to lying later, by the way. Uh, but I uh, had a job, and in the midst of those jobs sometimes, you, you're, you're working and you go, why am I working so hard? And, and there, 
you go, this is just a dumb job. They don't pay me enough to do this dumb of a job. If they paid me a lot more, it would have a sense of purpose to providing for my family and my needs. But this is just a dumb job that doesn't pay that much. I think we can all relate to one degree or another with something like that. If you look at what Paul is talking about as he describes who he is, he's saying, really, this is his job. He's a slave who came with a message. He's an apostle sent from God. He he has a message that comes from him that he is going out to share as a slave, as a slave, okay? And you say, well, why would you do that job? Paul is going to tell us why he does this job. And what we're going to see is that how that interacts with us and how important it is that we would be a local church, and let me ask you a question. Um, and this is kind of hard to, to think through. And it, Most of us understand what it is to have a personal relationship with Christ. That we don't have anyone in between us and God. That we, we have direct line because of what Christ has done. We get directly to Him. You don't come to me in, in the week and you say, you know what, I really wanted to send God a message. I wanted to talk to him. Kevin, could you tell him for me? We don't do that, do we? In fact, if you uh, have sins that you want forgiven, uh, you don't come to me and say, uh, Kevin, uh, could you talk to God? I, I've done some things that, could you tell him and kind of do that business for me and then get back to me when it's all clear? <laughs> We don't do that. We don't, we don't believe that. The Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, we know because of what Jesus did on the cross that we have direct access to the Father through the Son. We have relationship with Him. We have relationship with Him. So would you say it's important to have a personal relationship with Christ? Or would you say it's important to have a relationship with with the body of Christ. Or, let's skip that question altogether, because you know, you're realizing sometimes they're kind of yes and yes, but where's he getting it? Or, or, can someone have a personal relationship with Christ without having a relationship with the body of Christ? Or, skip those questions. Or, is it important for you to have a relationship with your local body of Christ? See, why I bring this up is that this, this little letter to Titus has a context. That there is... Uh, a church and or churches involved in this letter that Paul is writing to a man. We're going to get to that man. And that man is ministering to some local churches. We don't know how many in an island of Crete. And, and there's a there's a setting there. We have a setting. We're at Bear Valley Church in the great city of Tehachapi. Where is that again? You know, how many times have you heard that, right? How do you spell that? Salud, you know, uh, we uh, we we have a setting here. We're a local church, and and as much as I think about this, it's important for us to remember. 
I love the idea that we are connected in the body of Christ to all believers. I love that. I love that. But there's a reality. There's a reality that the believers in churches in Wisconsin, that their walk with the Lord does not impact me at all, and mine does not impact them. That Titus was, uh, the book of Titus was written by Paul to Titus so that those local churches would be set up in honoring to the Lord as they should be. And so in that backdrop, we hear from Paul through the inspiration of God why he works so hard and why he would fulfill this role of apostle even when it wasn't his message. And this is what he says in the middle of verse 1. Actually, let's start at verse 1 again. Paul, servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. God's elect. As some of you read uh, that whole idea of God's elect, you start breaking out in a rash and you start going, oh, it's that election thing that I don't quite understand. And I don't. That's fine. That's fine. Um, if you didn't break out in a rash... Um, Maybe you've gotten too comfortable and you think you understand more about God than you really do. Most of us, especially if you've come to faith later in life, there's a sense in which you say, uh, before Christ I was like this, and now after Christ I'm like this. And so you, you, you think in your mind, well, there were days where God didn't have me on his radar and I wasn't a part of the faith and he wasn't working in my life. And then there's a point in time, bam, and then from then on, God is working in my life. I want to tell you that's wrong. I want to tell you that's wrong. Because the Bible teaches that really from the the earliest time that, that he identified you and he's been working in your life forever. And that's what election talks about is that he did not uh, stumble upon you or you didn't stumble upon. You may have stumbled upon him in a sense where you all of a sudden, ah, you know, I need God. But he was working in your life to draw you to faith. And so as Paul identifies and in other places, he does this as well. He refers to this group of people as you all as God's elect. And I want I want you to get this, this is so great. Paul is saying, this is the group of people that I live for. This is the group of people that I slave for. That Why am I willing to call myself a slave of God? Why am I willing to take another's message? It's for you. It's for you. And there's a sense in which, as today, we're out there looking as well. We're looking for who God is working in. And we're sharing, and we're calling people, and we're saying, Come in, this is the greatest stuff you'll ever see. And Paul says two things that he is about doing. He says this, uh, The reason he's doing it, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. So their faith and their knowledge, their knowledge of the truth. And what he, what's so important for us to see here is this, that this is the process by which happens to all people who come to faith, is that they are to grow in their faith. Their faith is not to be stagnant or just a touch and that's enough. And But Paul is about, he desires, and really the church is about people growing in faith. And the difference is, is, 
that people have, everyone has faith. Did you know that? Some would say, well, you know, I'm an atheist. I don't have faith. Yes, you do. It happens to be in a lie that you made up, but you do have faith. Uh, they believe in something. They put their trust in something. Most of us, prior to knowing Christ, our trust was just right here. It was just right here. I trust in myself. I believe in myself. And, and that's what's going to get me through the day. And what is going on when people are, are coming to faith is this. There's a transfer of faith in themselves or faith in something else to faith in the God of the universe what Jesus did on the cross. So Paul says, this is why I slave. To increase that faith, to grow that faith. And that they might uh, grow in their knowledge of the truth. Knowledge of the truth. The other picture here, he says faith, but he also says knowledge. The idea of knowledge is taking out the wrong answers and putting in the right answers. You understand that, right? That, That... when we act wrong, most of the time we believed wrong and we acted upon that thinking that that was the right way to go. Paul said, my passion, the reason I live, the reason I slave is for their faith and their knowledge, the knowledge of the truth, the knowledge of the truth. This is what our churches should be all about, is growing people in faith and increasing their knowledge of the truth, replacing the wrong thoughts with the right ones. He goes on. Paul says really that I have uh, a gospel purpose. This is what gets me going. And as he goes on to talk about these things, it's a, he speaks of a gospel change, the good news change. What, what happens when we grow in faith and what happens when they increase in the knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness? With godliness. I love this because it shows what happens to our lives when we interact with God. When we truly understand who He is. When we trust Him more. When we put our faith in Him. When we grow in the knowledge of the truth. We get rid of those old answers and we trust in His Word. What happens? Godliness happens. Godliness happens. We change. That's sometimes painful, isn't it? The change is painful, especially if we've been doing the wrong thing for a long period of time and we're getting really good at the wrong answer, right? And so it's sometimes hard to change, but the product, the product of the gospel in us is that we would have a changed life. I want to tell you, uh, sometimes that's a lot slower than we want it to be. I don't know if you feel like that, but there's a sense in which, uh, especially as you come to faith, you're, you're so, there's such an exhilaration of knowing that your sins are forgiven, that you're a new creation in Him, that you're like, sweet, this is awesome, everything's great now. They're, you know, all those things I struggled with before, they're gone, they're done with. And yet, uh, it doesn't happen like that, does it? Sometimes it's a, a slow and painful process. Um, it's kind of like going to school. These students here can relate to this. It's, it's a slow and painful process. Um, you know, uh, 
sometimes we go through, uh, we get uh, a bunch of information. We pass a class. We get a passing grade and you say, I'm done with that. I won't need that. That won't impact me at all. That's not anything that the gospel is about, I want to tell you. What happens in us when we receive the gospel is that it changes us. It changes us. It's a sense in which that God begins a work in us to change us into what he wants us to be. And the result, it's godliness. It's a life that is marked by God, who he is, not who we used to be. So there's a gospel change. Um, As we go on, look at verse 2. There's also a gospel hope. In hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. Um, love the way this says this. It's very important to us. Uh, when you hear eternal life, when you, in the midst of thinking about what it is to be a church, and you hear eternal life, I hope that you think, that's what I was saved for, eternal life. That's, that was the real clincher in the deal for me. As I understood who God was and I understood what Christ did for me, that was the clincher for me. You know, um, we, uh, we've already uh, shared about Paula and her being sick this week and just the surgery. And um, we know of others in the church that are struggling with health issues we know others that are struggling in their marriages, struggling with their kids, uh, just breaking their heart over time. Uh, I, I know of uh, people struggling with pregnancies and miscarriages and all, all these things that are just so hard to get through. And if you would tell me, if I didn't know who Christ was and you would come to me and you would say, you would say, why, you need Jesus. And I'd say, why do I need Jesus? I hope you would say, I hope you would say, because you can't get a, get through a day without him. You need him for the things that are going on in your life. And yet, and yet, I want to tell you this. I, I make up these percentages all the time, okay? This isn't a math thing at all, okay? I just made this up in my head. 95% of the gospel is heaven. 95% of the gospel you see, He helps us with every day down here. There are tough days and He is faithful. We, we've sung of His faithfulness. And He is faithful. He will get you through whatever. He will walk with you through the painful days of life, whatever they may be. And they may be extremely painful. But I want to tell you, this life is only here for a short while. It's only a small part of what we get in Christ. Because what he gives us is eternal life. Eternal life. You know, the best encouragement I I can give you in the midst of your heartache and pain is it will not last forever. It won't. I guarantee you. But his love for you will. His benefits of eternity will. They'll last forever. And so in the midst of uh, Paul talking about why he does what he does and what the greatness of this church and the idea of sharing the good news of the gospel, he says this, it's eternity. It's eternity. The gospel hope is eternal life. 
This morning, uh, if you're struggling, and I know there are some of you who are, I want to tell you it won't last forever. And the hope in the gospel is this, that eternity awaits us. You know, uh, we struggle with sickness, don't we? Uh, we, when someone tells us they have life-threatening illness, we kind of gasp. <gasps> and, and there's a sense in which we'll do whatever it takes to not die. But I want to tell you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, that's going to be a day of freedom for you. All, all the, the burdens of these things, these things that dog your feet daily, they will be over. Your sense of striving and, and, and trying to get up day after day and face whatever the, the, the day has for you, those things will be over. Those things will be over. And that's the hope of the gospel. Uh, Jesus just didn't come to save you from the junk of this life and make it a little bit better here. He came to save you for eternity. And that's our hope in the gospel. He describes this. Um, there's a gospel hope, but there's also a gospel guarantee. I don't know if you got that. Gospel guarantee. As he says, talks of this in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Uh, do you get that? Do you get that? It's not just a big promise. It's not just something where... Uh, you, you know, you were listening to a few school children and they say, I promise I'll be your best friend forever. You know, if you give me that piece of gum, you know, I'll be your best friend forever. Pretty cheap person, right? You know, if I, if I could buy all your affections for a piece of gum, I'd do it. Be your best friend. That's not what this is saying. It's marking this opposed to every other uh, promise that you've ever received. Now, let me ask you, are, are you, do you guys lie? Do you guys lie? Raise your hand if you lie. Some of you are lying right now because you won't raise your hand. Liars. Uh, for the most part, we are pretty, uh, we, we like to, especially in the things that don't matter, we're truthful, especially in those things, right? Uh, we like to be considered truthful, we, we like to have integrity, but there are times where we haven't come through, right? And, and what he's saying is, as opposed to all, everyone you'll ever meet, this is different because it's based on the character of God who never lies, who never lies. You can, you can trust in this. You realize that this is an eternal hope, right? It's not something that we have in our hands, and I want to tell you that if it was just an eternal hope so, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Because when will we know if it's true or not? After we die. And you can't come back, right? Uh, you can't go die and then go to the other side and then say, whoa, 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 whoa wait, uh, I'm going to go back and change my answer. Okay? But this answer... This gospel that we believe in is not one that is based upon any man's word. It's based upon the God of the universe who never lies. Who never lies. We can trust him. 
Our never lying God has said to us, I will be with you forever. I will be with you forever. So as Paul is saying, this is great stuff, isn't it? This is a reason to slave your whole life, right? This is a message that you can bear and be excited about bearing, right? This is what we're doing in the church. And as Paul considered his role, he goes back to the gospel. And in verse 3, he talks about the trust that he has received or the stewardship. He says, and at the proper time, speaking of this gospel, manifested in his word through the the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. You see, Paul, as he looked on this, he looked about throughout history throughout history. And he considered that at one time, when you see that word manifested, you realize that that that's when God chose to enter history. And it's not that he wasn't there before, but he was orchestrating history in such a way where at, at the perfect time for him, Jesus was interjected into history as a baby grew and and lived a sinless life, taught, and then as he taught and as he brought that ministry of teaching to a close, he gave himself as a sacrifice according to plan so that we would have the gospel message, that we would have the good news of Jesus and so that we would know him. And as Paul looks at this, he says, that's what I'm preaching. That's what I'm preaching. That's my message as it came to me. And, and the idea of, uh, of getting this message, it's a little bit different than the apostle uh, word that was used prior, but it's the idea that, that it was handed over, a valuable that was handed over to Paul. And it, it's similar to what we look at it here today. And the same theme is going to come out throughout the book of Titus is there's been entrusted to you. And it's as if God gave his gospel message and he handed it to Paul and he says, don't mess it up. Don't mess it up. It's perfect just the way it is. And Paul looks at that and he says, I've been entrusted with this powerful message, this perfect message of Jesus. And this is what I'm doing. It's a gospel trust that he had. This all works together in verse 4, and this is how it plays out for us. He talks about gospel family, and he addresses it, He addresses who he's writing to, and he says in verse 4, to Titus, my true child in common faith. We don't know a whole lot about Titus. He's mentioned in a few uh, other books, and we know him to be a Greek, not a Jew. And Yet in this verse, it says, my true son, my true son, I have a father-son relationship. And we assume that not to be an actual father. We assume that to be a relationship. Most, It could be very probable that Paul shared with Titus the gospel message and Titus didn't know it. He didn't know who Jesus was. He didn't know of this relationship that he could have with the Savior because of the good news. He didn't know. And as Titus heard it, he goes, oh, wow, that's great. I respond as God works in my heart. I respond. I, I want to have what you have, Paul. And so that may be that relationship. It could be that Paul and Titus just, Paul was older. 
And he had this relationship, and so there's a sense of that he'd be more like a father to him than anything. We don't know, but he talks about this, this family relationship. Family relationship. That's what we have in the church. It's uncomfortable. I realize that. It's uncomfortable. Some of you uh, have a tough time with your, your, the family that you live under the same roof with, right? And you say, man, that kind of creeps me out that they're so close to me. But the idea of the whole church being my family, stay away, <laughs> get away. I want to tell you that this is what the Lord has brought us into, a family. That's what he's brought us into. I find it interesting as he addresses Titus, there's a sense where he says, I'm your father, you're my son. I'm over you, I'm over you. But look at how he says they're connected. Did you catch that? To Titus, my true child, in a common faith, in a common faith. You know, there's a sense where they could be a father-son relationship, but there's also a sense where they're just brothers together, fellow slaves, fellow slaves. They share a common faith. It's not like Paul had a a special faith that he uh, somehow got more of Jesus than anybody else. It's not true that he was saved in the same way, that he still needed his sins removed just as anybody else did. And they shared a common uh, heritage in their family. They shared that same placement because of what Christ had done for them. Which leads us to verse, the end of, uh, middle of verse 4, it says this, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior a common greeting but he says grace and peace grace and peace what do you have in the gospel grace and peace what what do you have in this family that he's brought us into that we didn't grow up in grace and peace this is what you receive as being part of a church a church and it's all because of the gospel It's all because of the gospel change that goes on in you because you now have Jesus. This is the reason that Paul would slave and bring this message. I guess this morning as I think about really the context of this book that we're looking at, the book of Titus, I want us to get this. So Paul, he wasn't going to be there day to day. Paul was not going to be there day to day. And so he says, I left you at Crete, the Isle of Crete. Who did he leave? He left Titus. I know some of you are hungry, and so your brain's not working very well. It's like fourth period or something like that. Um, Titus. Paul, Paul, he's a slave, a messenger, apostle. He hands the message to Titus, and he says, Titus, while you're in Crete, there's some churches there in that aisle. There's some churches there. Put them in order. Put them in order. We're going to get to that next week. But why is this so important? Why is Paul taking this strategic look at what, what's going on there? Why is it so critical? It's real simple. It's because their task is so amazing and their trust that they received is so amazing. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. And and the gospel needs to go out. It needs to touch the people. 
Uh, it needs to increase faith and, and build their knowledge of the truth that it would produce godliness. Why? Because this godliness is so important to change them and to be the people that God wants them to be. And why is the gospel so important? Because of eternal life that we have. It's a hope. It's guaranteed. It's guaranteed by God. And this is the message that we continue to pour out, the gospel message, that Jesus died for sinners like us. I hope that we get excited about that as God has called us to be a local church here in this place. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your kindness and your grace to us. God, I pray that you would um, empower us and excite us about the task that you have for us here in Bear Valley that you would not uh, allow us to just sit back and consider if this is a good, comfortable church for us, but that we would, as we unite with one another, we would seek to do your will here in this place. But thank you for the gospel message that has riches that we don't deserve. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here today. You are dismissed.